If you're online, we're glad you're there. We're glad that you are around this summer. And as we go through this series on the parables of Jesus, his teachings, we hope that uh, you're adjusting some things in your life. When I was growing up in central Kentucky, uh, we lived close to uh, an amusement park. It's called King's Island. I don't know, has anybody ever been to King's Island? A few of you have. It's just, it's right outside of Cincinnati, and this is the place where we would go for fun in the summer, our youth group would go. And I remember as a little kid, before I went with uh, my teenage friends, going with my family, and I had heard about some of the roller coasters at Kings Island, and I wanted to, I wanted to ride them. This was before I got old and before uh, motion sickness became a big thing for me, and so I, I don't get on them anymore. Um, you know, puke once and it's, it's just all the fun is over. Um, but I remember walking up to the racers. It was one of the roller coasters that uh, I had heard about, uh, the lore of the racers with my dad. And there was a man standing outside near the line and he had a stick that was a lot like this one. And it had little pieces of tape on it, different colors. And um, I didn't understand what he was there for until he put it up near me and said, you have to be, what did he say? this tall. To what? To ride. Now, this is, of course, pretty normal at most amusement parks. There's often a a little cutout of a cartoon character who's got his hand stuck out or something like that, and maybe it's a certain height, and they want to be sure that you don't come flying out, you know, that the little thing that comes around you holds you in place, and I didn't understand that. I just thought it was punishment for being small, and uh, and that's what I thought. I thought, I, I didn't know that I could get to a place that I was excited to be at, and I had my dad with me even, who was there to protect me and be sure I was fine, and that there would be some reason why I could be excluded from the fun. Uh, but I walked up, and the man put the little stick beside me, and, and sure enough, I could ride. Now, I mean, 10 minutes later, I wish I had, had been too small. Um, <laughs> when I was trying to shove myself into the floor of this roller coaster, wondering why my dad would let me do such a thing... <laughs> This is, in fact, a measuring stick, isn't it? That's all it does, is it measures. It tells you if you're, well, measuring up, doesn't it? You know, when we spent two weeks on these words of Jesus, the question that we're asking is, are we putting ourselves in place of holding a measuring stick around the people that we're around? Do we have the stick in our hands? Do we put it next to somebody and say, I don't know. I don't know about you. Come here. Stand next to this. Let me see if you measure up. Let me see if you're good enough. Let me see if you're smart enough. Let me see if you're tall enough. Let me see if you're wealthy enough, thoughtful enough. You name it. And we do this a thousand different ways. And Jesus had an awful lot to say about this. We just pulled three parables out uh, just really out of the Gospels, we could have gone to almost any page of the Gospels and taught this idea of, of not judging. And Jesus took it from different angles, so many different ways. When we are instructed, really, Jesus is attacking the question that we are asking of the people around us, and it's that, how do they measure up? How do they? In comparison to what standard? And you might have a standard that you expect somebody to measure up, but I bet your standard is different than my standard. I bet the stick that you hold has the tape in a different place. I bet you have a different thought. I bet you have a different rationale, a different reason. And not only is your standard different than my standard, 
I bet your standard has changed over the years. I bet your goalpost or your piece of tape or the length of you know, the stick that you use as a measuring stick, I bet it's different today than it was two years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I bet you use different rationale, different reasons. It's because your values have changed in regards to this question. And your values have shifted because your ideas of what matters or what's important or who you want to be around, those things have changed and shifted. I bet the first job you got when you looked around at your coworkers and you're trying to size them up, you're trying to figure out who you want to hang around or who you want to spend lunch time with or who you want to go with out after drinks, you know, after work for drinks or whatever, I bet your understanding or perception or your value regarding who you might want to be around has changed and shifted. I mean, early on, if you were in your 20s and got a job in a professional setting, you were looking around and looking for the fun people or the thoughtful people, or maybe the people that you thought could get you somewhere socially. And my guess is, in your 30s or in your 40s, you looked around and looked for the freeloaders and thought, not them. I want people who carry their weight who won't make my work burden harder. I bet your measuring stick has changed. That's an example. You could probably fill in all those details with another measuring stick change that's happened, whether it has to do with the value of somebody their faith, whether they're in or whether they're out. And when we ask this question, how do they measure up? Really, the question behind it is about us. Our question is, I mean, how do I measure up? That's why Jesus said, be careful. The same measuring stick that you use to measure other people, it will be used to measure you. And so it's a double-edged sword. Your expectations of others get turned around on you. That's what he meant. So we have to be thoughtful about it. Am I, a, am I a good person? What does that mean? Am I thoughtful? Am I kind? What circumstances can I find myself in and I, I feel like it's okay to express my anger, or my hurt, or my, you, you name it, fill in the blank? In other words, am I enough? maybe quite literally in inches or quite metaphorically in the way that I live my life. Am I enough? Am I successful? How do others see me? And so when we ask this question, how do they measure up? How do I, how do we measure up? We're wondering ultimately how God sees us. How does he feel about us? Does he esteem us as having passed the test or we have a sense, either from scripture or maybe the church you grew up in, that judgment's coming one way or another. How do we measure up? And we have this variety of standards that we carry with us about all of these things. Well, these questions are important ones because they're ones that kind of keep you awake at night and make you think about the direction of your life or the changes that you ought to make. You think about an argument or a discussion or a circumstance at work and you wonder, did I handle that right? Did I engage with that person properly? Is there something to be reevaluated? Do I need to think that through? Do I need to apologize? Do I need to maybe take a different direction? All of these questions that kind of poke at us when we wonder, are we living the kind of lives that we want to live, that we hope that God is pleased with, that we desire to be using our time for.
Well, as we go through the parables, these are the questions that Jesus is going to poke at. And when we read every parable of Jesus, and really this is true for all the teachings of Jesus, Jesus is going to use these, these stories and these fictional characters, these people, and these circumstances that he just makes up. It, when you read the parables, you'll notice that half the time, I mean, I, if I were you know, in a position where I thought I might be called on to teach, like today, I mean, I, I just didn't get up two minutes ago and think, well, I think I'll say this. You know, there's been a, you know, a lot of thought put into it, mostly because I'm scared to death of being up here and saying something, well, more irrelevant than I say or more ridiculous than I say. And, and so Jesus, though, it feels like he's in circumstance after circumstance, and he just, he just didn't tell the story. It doesn't feel like he has this thing locked and loaded, like he's looking at his notes and going, okay, that's next, got it. And it has everything to do with where he is, who says what, what questions get asked, and then Jesus just tells a story. And when he teaches and when he tells these parables, here are two questions that you ought to wrestle with, and this is one of them. What is Jesus saying about our relationships? Jesus is saying something about how you relate to other people, how you relate to people in your family, how you relate to the people that you work with, the, the folks that you live near, your neighbors. What is Jesus saying about our relationships? Because he's, he's saying something. He is making a play. He is suggesting that you ought to see other people in a certain way and that your relationships should take on this sort of flavor if you want to love well. He's going to lobby for a principle or an idea or a value that you would put into place. And it could be something that you didn't grow up with that is, was not a part of your family of origin or is not a part of even your value set. But he's saying something about how we relate to other people and he's saying, you should consider it. You should think about this, how you relate to one another. It's important. You should, you should give it some thought. And so that's part of what he's doing. And then the other thing he's gonna do, he's gonna say something about who God is in everything that he teaches. Jesus is gonna teach us about God's character, God's nature. He's gonna teach us about how God loves, how God sees you. In fact, most of us grew up with an image of God that was given to us, who God is and how he loves, how he sees us, was given to us by people, and that was given to them by some people. And I, I know, I mean, they read the Bible and all, but they read the Bible in a certain way, and they see scripture in a certain way, and they have a narrative. And all of this, of course, layer upon layer upon layer colors, not just how we feel about each other, but what we think about God. And if you give it a chance... If you give the gospels a chance, if you give the words of Jesus a chance, the possibility exists that you could completely be transformed by the nature of God, by who he is. It could be that somewhere along the way, somebody handed you something that just isn't really true about God's nature. Or you operate relationally in a way that really kind of gets in the way of of good, authentic relationships. And so with every parable that Jesus teaches, you're invited to make a shift and to replace something that isn't quite working in the way you see the world, how God sees you, how you see some other people and how they see you. This shift you're invited to and it's usually pretty obvious when Jesus tells a story 
I mean, he can make it as obvious as he wants, and often he does. It's just laying right there. And so this week and next week, we'll do that with some of the teachings of Jesus. It's Luke 14, and this is how he kicks it off at first. He says this, on a Sabbath day, Luke writes, Jesus went uh, to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. If you don't know, Pharisees were religious leaders. They were very concerned about the law. Things to be done in a certain and orderly way. They understood the law. They knew more about scripture than we know. Uh, they had, generally speaking, the entire first five books of the Old Testament memorized. They were, uh, they were deeply concerned about knowing God and walking with God. Now, to be fair, they had missed the boat a bit, but Jesus handles that pretty handily in the Gospels. So he was at dinner. He was invited into this home. This was a big deal to be invited in somebody's home for dinner. It wasn't just a carte blanche invitation. People were invited by name specifically. They were invited because of who they were or because they were friends, because of the relationships they had. And that they were going there to eat a dinner meant that this Pharisee thought that we're going to have a table experience with Jesus and with some other people in, in the house. And what that meant is, is that this Pharisee was willing to eat with Jesus, there's some sort of acceptance of who Jesus is. There's some fellowship, there's some at least overture of friendship that this Pharisee, this religious leader is making toward Jesus. And then it says what? What does it say here? And the people were, yeah, they had, they're all, all had their sticks. They're all going, I don't know what's going to happen. What's up? This is going to be interesting. They seem to be at odds. How is this going to reconcile? And so when you read the story there in Luke 14, there's a healing that takes place and, and we'll, we'll throw that in one day when we're doing a, a series on the miracles, but immediately some things get interesting. Jesus watches people come in for dinner and this is what Luke writes. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit at the seats of honor near the head of the table. So imagine this setting. This is how it was usually set up in, in homes, Jewish homes, first century near Jerusalem, there would be a, a table in the room. And this table was typically U-shaped, filled up the whole room. And this table being U-shaped, you know, had two wings and kind of a head of the table, if you will, the bottom of the U, the head of the table. And usually the, the host sat at the center of that table that was at the base of the U. And there were two seats of honor that is referred to here that Luke mentions those two seats of honor, well, you can imagine where they were. They were just to the right of the host and just to the left of the host. And so Jesus noticed when the guests came in for dinner, they kind of all jockeyed for places. This happens every time you go to some place. And even you walk into a restaurant with people, somebody says, are, we, are, are there assigned seats, somebody says. And there's usually some very organized individual. And it's just a part of this social experience that says, well, of course, and they start. Then there's usually some disruptor that says, I don't assign seats, what am I, 12? And they go sit where they want, messes everything up, right? Some feelings get hurt. It's not changed at all. This happened in the first century. Everybody's wondering, where am I supposed to sit? Not assigned seats, though. But Jesus noticed that there were some people who came in, they were trying to sit in the seats of honor. Jesus saw this happening and so he gave them this, what? Advice. What's he saying? What's Luke writing? He's saying, look, you have a way that you interact with other people. And that way says something about who you are and says something about your values. Jesus said, I have an idea. 
about some of the values that you could have while you interact with other people. And so Jesus uses this occasion to give them some perspective. And he does it after everybody's seated for dinner. And he probably saw all of this go on right in front of him. And he says this. When you are invited to a wedding feast, Jesus just goes to the pinnacle of the social calendar. He just says, look, this is a, this is a we'll just call out the largest, most prestigious, most thoughtful, most sensitive event we can think of. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat, then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. This is the the social convention. Those who sit closest to the host are most important. And they are in the seat of honor. A little different than today. Although there are some more favorable seats. You just have to look at the table and know where they are. Maybe it's closest to the brisket. Maybe it's near the host. Maybe if it's going to be a long, drawn-out thing, it's closest to the door. I don't know what seat you want, but there's probably a seat that you would prefer because you make that assessment when you walk into the restaurant or you walk into somebody's house. And maybe that's not on your mind at all, but for most of these people, they recognize what's going to happen. We're all going to sit here. We're going to be for hours. There is going to be a social ladder that's very clear who's most important in the room and who's least important in the room. And I want to establish my social preeminence before the meal gets started. Because once we're sitting, then we're sitting. And I would imagine that even though Jesus saw some people jockeying for the seats of honor, that this very thing had just happened in that room before the first bite was served. And Jesus looks around, he says, look, if you're invited, don't take the seat of honor. So there's somebody who just got moved to the foot of the table that hangs their head and thinks, I mean, just use my name. Just say my name, Jesus, if that's what you're meaning. We just saw it play out. And it was embarrassing for them, right? It was awkward and uncomfortable, and so they had to get moved. And then Jesus follows up with this. Instead, well, here's what you should do. Take the lowest place at the foot of the table, and then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. Doesn't that sound better? Now, just stop for a minute and remember who's saying this. Jesus is saying this. Doesn't that seem like an odd thing for Jesus to say? Seems a little odd to me too. It seems odd that Jesus would say, don't you want to be the person who says, oh, not me, not me. And somebody says, yes, you. And they move you up and then you will be the honored guest. Seems odd to me that Jesus would say that. Listen close. Jesus doesn't care where you sit at dinner. He doesn't care at all. Jesus is saying that there is a value here at play. There's a principle in mind. And in your relationships, it would be good if you maybe had that and held it close. This very thing that Jesus is describing, everyone has seen, especially those that were sitting in his presence. They had probably just seen it. And the emotion of being either elevated or embarrassed and humbled Everyone identifies with it. They say, oh, I felt that way. I remember, I remember when that happened. I never want that to happen again. And so when Jesus says this, 
When he says this description, he follows it with this. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And everyone around the room knows exactly who is who. Who's just been humbled? Who got exalted? And it's right in front of everyone. Now, if you're imagining this social setting, this isn't Jesus' home. He's not the one running the dinner. He's an invited guest, just like whoever got exalted and whoever got humbled. And so you gotta wonder, when Jesus walked in, somebody better get that, um, (laughs) where did he sit? And what seat was he moved to? And when he gave this teaching, what did people think? Did he follow the example of what he said? What were the feelings in the moment in that room? It's pretty tense, I would imagine. And everybody thinks, I don't know. If if you're the kind of person who goes to the family dinner, maybe the event or the deal, and you know that there's one thing everybody shouldn't say, or there's one subject nobody should bring up, and you're the one that brings it up. I mean, you bring it up all the time. You're the person, and somebody even corners you before dinner and says, look, last time we had dinner, mom and dad were here, you said the thing, don't say the thing. And you know, all of a sudden somebody prays, somebody passes a plate, and you say the thing. You and Jesus, you're in good company. You are just like him. I mean, he made things tense in that moment. And what Jesus is saying is that there are people present who wanted to establish their preeminence and they got humbled and vice versa, reversal of fortune. And then, as if it weren't awkward enough at that dinner, because we all know who, who's getting paid attention to right now, right? The people who you know, got moved up and the people that got moved down and all those sorts of things. Jesus then turns his attention to the host. And if you think it's already awkward in the room, you could cut the tension with a knife. Here's what he says. Then he turned to his host. And then he says this. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, what's Jesus at? He's at a luncheon or a banquet. When you have an event like this, he said, don't invite your friends. They're sitting at the table. Don't invite your brothers. They're probably there too. Or your relatives. I'm sure they're there. Or your what? Your rich neighbors. Oh my goodness. For they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. This is incredible. I feel nervous just reading it. This moment when Jesus says, hey, host, I'm going to call out, even in the middle of your generosity and your hospitality, your motives. Why would you not invite these people? Well, they'll invite you back and that will be your only reward. Then Jesus says this. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame, and the blind. Every person present at that table could have easily looked around and seen that these were the ones that were not invited to this dinner. 
The Pharisee would have invited people who had prestige or power, religious influence, a little authority, probably some wealth. Anyone that could even give him some credibility for having the audacity or maybe the courage to invite Jesus to the table. Jesus says, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. There's more to this this dinner party. It it actually even gets more awkward. And Jesus has some more things to say, and we'll, we'll get into that next week. But when you ponder the the social circumstance that Jesus was in and the, the very moment when he has this ability to take a very normal, everyday occasion and cut to the heart of what's really going on socially and in your heart, my heart, our ability to judge when we shouldn't, the way we put people on a continuum of most important to least important, well, he has it right in front of him, seats around a banquet table for him to just use this occasion to illustrate what kind of values he's nominating for a shift in your perspective of relationships. And he does so not just to talk about my relationship with you and your relationship with your friends or your neighbors or your family members, but to also talk about how God sees you and how much God loves you. And so let's just take Jesus' teaching at face value And let's ask this question. If this is what Jesus teaches, then we ought to ask this question. Who's invited to your party? Who's invited to your party? I don't know if you have a party scheduled. I mean, if you do today and you didn't invite the people Jesus said, I'm really sorry for the awkward moment (laughs) or the way you might feel right now. But Jesus wants to know, this is what God is communicating through his son Who's invited to your party? Come on, not your literal party. But I've seen many of you interact with other people and you take a party wherever you go. You walk into a room and you greet some people. You walk into a place, a public place, and there's some people that you know, there's people that you don't know. And who's invited to that party, the one that travels with you? the one that you experience when you come in to a home or an event, when you show up at work and you see the people that you have a chance to greet and say, hey, good morning, what'd you do last night? Did you have fun? Who's invited to your party? And it travels with you wherever you go. What am I saying? Who gets noticed by you? Who gets seen by you? Who gets greeted by you? Who gets known by you? It's the same principle at play, isn't it? Whether you host a party at your house and you literally send out invitations or you walk into a social setting and some people are seen by you and others are not seen by you. Jesus is saying, the people that you see, if there are folks there that could benefit your life because you greet them, because you know their name, because you are socially at ease with them and they can help you or benefit you or prop you up, don't, don't, don't invite those people to your party. The people you should invite to your party are the ones that can benefit you in no way. 
the people that you should invite to your party, the people that you greet, the people that you see, are those that everyone else feels like are unimportant, disregarded, and ignored. Why? Well, it calls into question our very motives and allows us to have a heart that flows with love that is not self-focused or self-motivated. Only then can we know that it's love. It's love because God loves us and we don't deserve it. It's love because God takes care of us and we want to express that and extend it to the people around us. Parents, when, when your kids come home from school, one of the first questions you ought to ask them is, did you see somebody who needed a friend? Now, I know, I know, your kid might be the one who needs a friend. But I guarantee you that in their need for a friend, if they learn to see those who are in need of a friend as well, well that's the quickest path to building connection, community, and a place where they belong. And so they look for the kid that's ignored or made fun of, or ridiculed. They can get them no distance with any social currency at all. And they show love. Now, it's an easy thing to teach a fifth grader or a sixth grader that lesson. But it seems like something happens to us when we grow up as adults and we forget that very lesson. And most of us walk around friendless and without the community that we need. And there are people next to us that feel the exact same way. Ignored, not seen, not heard, not even known. Who's invited to your party? You walk into the room. Who do you see? So what is Jesus saying about our relationships? Remember the question? Every time you read a parable, every time you read the teachings of Jesus, that ought to be our question. What is Jesus teaching us about relationships? What is he teaching us about the nature of God? About who he is? And if we're going to ask this question, who's invited to your party? Deeply embedded in this social experiment that Jesus is enjoying, I'm sure, at the house of the Pharisee, is that there is a deep-seated humility that must be present and a selfless generosity that comes just because we can give. Now, I know, you can give all kinds of things, money and time, attention, love, mercy, forgiveness, grace when you want to give judgment. So many things we can give. Every day I get to walk into this room weekdays and I get to experience a, a bit of a party Whenever I'm around in the building around 9, 9.15, 9.30, well, the, the Wellspring stars and clients are kicking off their day. And at least one portion of that day is uh, that, that morning gathering that they have. Somebody at the sound booth kicks off some music that uh, is usually pretty fun, got a little beat to it, a lot of rhythm, and the stars begin to dance. And they, they're having a, a party and when I hit the door, there's two or three of them that will say hi to me by name very quickly and count a motion for me to start moving the way they're moving. And I have far too much shame to do that. I don't know how to dance. I can't dance. And when I watch, look at them, I think, I mean, I, I, if I could move like you, I would dance all day long. 
And I just experienced this moment where I am being invited into a party that I don't even belong in. And this welcoming, open arm expression of unconditional love from them teaches me what it's like to experience the rest of my day. And so I began asking that same question. Who did I walk past today that just needed for me to see them and acknowledge them? Who am I holding a grudge with that just needs to know that I'm good, they're good? Who have I not forgiven that grace just is waiting, pregnant to be just delivered? Humility and selfless generosity. So this week, you're gonna pass hundreds of people throughout the course of your days and your evenings. And the question that I hope sticks with you and maybe causes you to take one of your relationship values and just toss it aside and say, I'm gonna love, I'm gonna love better, is that one there. Who's invited to your party? So Lord, we come to you right now in all humility and ask for you to give us eyes to see. There are many of us in this room that ponder and think about the words of Jesus and we want to understand them for what they are and for what they say. And so we see Jesus interacting with these people at a dinner and at this dinner, Jesus points to the most simple and obvious of things, this social experience where people are being welcomed and ignored, exalted and humbled. So this week as we go through our days, show up at work, experience time with family. Help us to ask the question, how well do we love? How open are our eyes? Who's invited to the party that we take with us wherever we go? Who is seen? Who is unseen? Who is ignored? Who needs love? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, walk with us this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray.